This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We are discussing today a couple of topics. And the first topic is the 10 trials of Hamavini. Now that's, it's very interesting because there's a Mishnah. And this Mishnah is in Perkei Avot. Everyone knows this Mishnah. It's, it's a Mishnah Perkei Avot, chapter 5, Mishnah 3. And the Mishnah says, Avraham Avinu was tested with 10 trials. Everyone knows this Mishnah. We all know Aram had 10 trials. Rashi says that the Mishnah, however, the Mishnah does not tell us what these 10 trials are. So what's very interesting is there are at least three different opinions what these 10 trials are. And I thought I'd just go through. I saw this uh, last week and I said, wow, this is interesting. Because, uh, you know, you have to go through these 10 trials and see how they do, how they relate to us. How do these 10 trials of Ramavinu, because the rabbis tell us that whatever went to happened to the forefathers happens to their children. So they don't relate to us personally. They definitely relate to us as a people. So let's go through these 10 trials. The first source I have is Pirkei de Rabbeliezer. Now we know Rabbeliezer. It's called Rabbeliezer HaGadol. It's a chapter in uh, Mishnah and uh, Shabbat called Pirkei uh, Rabbeliezer. This is the chapter of Rabbeliezer Hamila. Uh, Rabbeliezer, <laughs> he, he said a, a revolutionary halakha regarding Brit Milah, which we don't follow. But anyway, so Rabbeliezer was Rabbeliezer ben Hurkanis. Rabbi Yezab ben Hukun, as it says, his father Hukun was a very, very wealthy man. And he didn't want his son to go to learn Torah because he had a tremendous amount of wealth, tremendous amount of land. He said, if my son goes to learn Torah, he's going to forsake his heritage. He's not going to look after all my property and then I'm not going to let him go. And Eliezer, it says, would ran away one day, 27 years old, he ran away. And he went to sit at the feet of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was a chief rabbi at that time, the time of the Romans, uh, just before the destruction of the, of the Second Temple. And he sat there, and he, and he had no money. He, his father disinherited him. He says he was eating earth. He was eating earth, and his, his mouth was just foul-smelling. He was dying, basically, malnutrition. And uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai couldn't take it. The smell is just terrible. He says, whoever has that smell, just please leave the, sh- the class. I can't give a shir on Torah when there's a bad smell. So Rabbi Meir Baraneh, no, it was the other, someone else. It was someone else who left. He didn't want to shame Rabbi uh, Eliezer ben Hurkadus, and he, he left. As if it was him. And then he tells Rabbi Yochum Zaka afterwards, he said, by the way, you don't know that Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkadus is suffering. He's starving. He, his father disinherited him, tells him the whole story. And so they, they supported the other students got together with the rabbi and they arranged meals for Rabbi Yezim because they supported him while he's learning Torah. He, he became one of the great rabbis of, of Israel at that time. And it says he was greater than even, I can't say that, he was one of the greater, greatest rabbis of his time. He was one of the rabbis of Rabbi Akiva. So the great Rabbi Akiva is Rabbi Yezim ben Hukunus. Rabbi Yezim ben Hukunus has a midrash called Pirkei de Rabbi Yezim, the chapters of Rabbi Yezim. He brings over there the ten trials of Amavino. So let's go through them very quickly. The first two are revolutionary. I never heard of them before. It says, obviously, this is very similar to the story of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And Moshe Rabbeinu, was, as soon as he was born, well, three months later, he was put into a, an ark and put on the river because uh, Pharaoh made a decree to kill all the, all the children. So he brings down over here that when Abraham was, was born, obviously King Nimrod had some kind of astrology a sign or something that uh, this guy is going to cause troubles. He's going to be break all our idols. And uh, he took him when he's a child. Imagine Nimrod wanted to kill him. And Abraham Avinu hid for 13 years in a cave. Imagine they hid Abraham Avinu. 
from the a baby to the age of 13, hidden in a cave. And that's, that's trial number one. Test number one is, can you imagine you're born in a cave and you stay in a cave till 13 years old. Wow. Okay. Number two. Trial number two. When he grew up, again, he was caught by uh, Nimrod, found him, he caught him, put him in jail for 10 years. So now he's 23 years old, he's in jail. And then at the end of that 10 years, uh, you know, the story went home, whatever, he looked after his father's idols, he smashed the idols. And then Nimrod puts him in the fire, in the fiery furnace, as a second test. Okay. So Abraham Avinu had tests regarding his faith. That's, that's what we had over the ages. Jews have been tested with their faith. Uh, are you going to convert? Are you going to be baptized? Are you going to be killed? We have tests of our faith. That was Abraham Avinu's first test, was test of faith. And as, is he going to be remain true to Hashem or is he going to change his faith? And then number three, it says Lech Lecha. We all know Lech Lecha was number three. Are you going to go? Hashem is going to command you, leave your land, leave your birthplace, leave your father's house, and go to a strange land. And that was Lech Lecha. We know that he went with his wife and his uh, brother-in-law, Lot, and they moved. And that's hard, hard to move. It's hard to move. Anyone made Aliyah will know it's hard to move. And you move place to place, even in the same country, it's hard to move. So a hard hardship of moving, and in those days, especially if you're traveling by camel and by donkey and in the desert, and there's no one around and no food. So it was much harder in those days than it is today. Number four, it says there was never a famine in the land till Abraham Avinu came to Israel. There was never a famine in history. Hard to imagine, right? Never a famine in history till Abraham Avinu came to Canaan. Straight away, there's a famine. There's a famine in Canaan. And this is his fourth test. What's he going to do? Is he going to rebel against Hashem? So Abraham says, no, I'm not going to rebel against Hashem. Hashem says, come to Canaan. I can't live in Canaan. I'll go temporarily to Egypt. And when things get better, I'll come back. Some of the fourth test. The fifth test is when Sarah was taken by Paro. And Hashem got it back by punishing Paro. That was the fifth test. And the sixth test is when what happened is he comes back to Canaan. And Canaan is invaded by four major kings, the Torah tells us. It's invaded by four major kings. There are four kings against the five kings. And one of these four kings is a guy called Amraphel. Rashi says Amraphel is this king Nimrod that Abraham had been already had trouble with when he was a kid. Nimrod was still alive, and he is called Amraphel, which means, Rashi says, Amar fall. He tells Abraham, throw him down into the furnace. That's where Amraphel comes from. And they tried to kill Abraham. Now, Abraham was successful, and that was the test, six, number six. Abraham can't forget, he can't imagine he was successful. He says, Hashem, maybe I used up all my merits. And Hashem says, don't worry, Abraham. There's plenty of merits. I'm your shield. Don't worry, Abraham. Okay, number seven. In the, he has these terrible visions. He has this uh, contract with Hashem, makes this covenant. He falls asleep and he has this dream. B'nai Israel are in Galut, they're persecuted. So that's the test of faith again. His children, all right, nothing worse than seeing. Imagine, thank God we can't see this. Thank God we're not prophets in that sense, that we can see what's going to happen in the future, the bad. Oh, God, hopefully it's only good. Bezrash, it's only good. Abraham Abinu has this test. He sees bad things happening to his children, his grandchildren, great grandchildren. And it's a tremendous test of faith. Is he going to keep his faith? What's going to happen to my children, my grandchildren? So that is a test. Uh, we see this over the centuries. Imagine the test the Jews had. We're going to have kids at all. It's a miracle we survived. Imagine bringing children to this ter- terrible, disgusting world. 
and attacked by everyone and hated by everyone. And here we are, we're still here. Because Abraham Avinu passed this test. Yes, he's going to have children. Despite the fact he knows the children are going to be slaves in a foreign land, he has children. So this is our test as well. Uh, number eight. And uh, number eight is the Brit Milah. Is he going to do a Brit Milah at the age of 99? Can you imagine? 99 years old, he's going to do a Brit Milah. And then number, number nine, uh, that's number eight. Number nine is throwing out Ishmael again. This is the first son he had. He's got a, it's a sacrifice. It was a kind of sacrifice. It was a kind of sacrifice. That's number nine is throwing out Ishmael, his son, who he loved very much. He loved them both. And then number 10 is obviously Akedat Yitzhak, which is the binding of Yitzhak. So those are the 10 trials. This is a quick brocade of Eliezer, of Eliezer Gadol, of Eliezer Herkulus, who is the rabbi of Rabbi Akiba. Rashi, in his commentary of Masechet Avot, Pirkei Avot, brings down these 10 trials. So Rashi brings this down on Pirkei Avot. However, the Rambam has a whole different list. Okay, so let's go to Rambam's list. This is opinion number two, Rambam's list. The Rambam, obviously, we all know, 1135 uh, CE, it's born 1135 CE in uh, Cordoba in Spain, under the Muslims, golden age of Spain, until the Muslims came in from uh, Morocco, fiercer Muslims, the Almohads, and he had to run. His birthday, his bar mitzvah present was exile. They ran, the family ran to Morocco, imagine. So Jews of Spain, that was the end of the golden age of Spain. And the Rambam was uh, started. Okay, so in the golden age of Spain, and uh, Almohads came along, very fierce Muslim warriors from Morocco, and they wanted to convert the Jews by the sword. He ran away, his family ran away to Morocco, to Fez, where obviously the Rif, where the Rabbi Sakal Fassi was a rabbi before the Rambam, two generations before the Rambam. And uh, they lived in Fez for a while until, again, the, the Muslims in Morocco started becoming crazy. But in, in Fez, it's interesting, he went to the university over there, went over to the college over there to learn medicine. That's where he learned medicine, in Fez. And then the family ran away. They ran away to Akko in Israel. They spent three months in Akko. Obviously, the, we have to know that the, <laughs> the situation in Israel was not better that time. There was Christians against Muslims. They were fighting the Crusaders against the Muslims. And the Crusaders were taking every Jew they could find as uh, ransom. So imagine any any rabbi that went to Israel that time was held to ransom by the Crusaders out here. Uh, the Crusaders were fighting the Muslims, and uh, eventually the Muslims won. Salah al-Din won, and some people say he took Rambam as his doctor, but that's a legend. But really, the Rambam, they go, eventually they move. After three months in Israel, they couldn't take it anymore. They're infighting, maybe they're going to be captured by the Crusaders. They ran away to Egypt, and Baruch Hashem, he found safety and security in Egypt, unfortunately, because we're not allowed to go back to Egypt. And he writes, and he signs his name. Uh, he says, I'm Rambam, Moshe ben Maimon, and I'm transgressing this mitzvah of living in Egypt. And it was temporary, he couldn't help it, there was no other place to go. And when Jews are not allowed to go back to Egypt and dwell in Egypt, they're not allowed to visit Egypt, they're not allowed to live there. So he said, I can't, I can't help it. Just no other place to go. And he becomes the doctor to the, eventually becomes the doctor, so the king of, uh, sultan of, of uh, Egypt. Anyway, so Rambam has his own list of trials. And you see that the trials of the Rambam are similar to the trials of Rambam. You know, same trials. You have to leave your land. You persecute your religion. You have to change. You're going to change your religion. You have to die. Whatever. It's the same trials every time in Jewish history. These are the 10 trials of Abraham. That's what I'm talking about. Because we're going through these trials right now. 
there's a famine in Israel. What does that mean? It could be a famine from food, but it could also be a famine in terms of security, lack of security. That's what we're going through. So are you going to leave? Not going to leave? That's a test of Abraham Avinu. Thank God we're here. We're strong. Uh, there's no talk of leaving, in fact. Which, which is interesting is hundreds of thousands of Israelis came back. That's, that is that is fascinating. That's Am Kashi Oref. We are a very stiff-necked people. We are very obstinate people. You afflict us, we're going to be tougher. We're like boiled eggs. That's one of the reasons why I put a boiled egg on the table in Haggadah. Because the more you boil us, the harder we become. So that is a very interesting idea that we are tough people. That's Abraham Avinu. Whatever he went through, we have faith. Hashem is going to help us. We know Mashiach is coming. We have something to live for, even though it's very hard. And our soldiers are tremendously brave. It's amazing. These people are brave. And you look at them, they, they don't look like warriors. They don't look like they don't have the features of warriors. Most Jews are not strong and fighting fit. <laughs> but these guys somehow came out different. Okay, so it's interesting. We're living in interesting times. There's rather sure there'll be peace and security soon. Anyway, the Rambam gives another 10 trials. So he starts with a trial, which is Lech Lecha. We all know that uh, it's interesting because the Pirkei uh, Rebbe starts with uh, Abraham as a baby. The Rambam doesn't. He starts with Lech Lecha. So he skips out the first two, which are brought up by Abraham Avinu was not taken as a baby. He wasn't put in jail. By, he wasn't thrown in the fiery furnace. It's not one of the trials of Abraham according to Rambam. And he starts with Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha is number one. That was the first test of Abraham. That was the last test of Abraham. What does that mean? The first test of Abraham starts with Lech Lecha. Go leave your father's house. Go to Israel. It doesn't even say go to Israel. It says go to the land I will show you which took a tremendous emuna. He doesn't know where he's going, just leaving. He doesn't know where he's going. And can you imagine leaving a place without a destination? People ask you, where are you going, Abraham? He says, I don't know. I didn't get the message yet. Can you imagine people making fun of him. You're just leaving without a destination? That's crazy. How many Jews in, 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 in history have to leave without knowing where they're going? I mean, after the Inquisition, the Jews just left. The harbors of uh, Spain were full of Jews leaving. It says Columbus tried to leave. He had to delay his departure by a few days because the harbors of Spain were full of Jews leaving. They didn't even know where they're going. It's just anywhere, anywhere, just take us away from here. We have to leave by a certain date. Tisha B'Av, 1492, they had to leave Spain. They didn't know where they're going. A lot of them ended up, who knows where, they were captured by pirates and uh, Bar Minan. Okay, so that's the test of Abraham. The first test was Lech Lecha. It says the last test was also Lech Lecha, which is interesting. Hashem says, Lech Lecha, Leres HaMoriah, go to the mountain of Moriah. That's the test of the Akedah. So Aramal says the first test was Lech Lecha and the last test was Lech Lecha. He leaks the first test to the last test. The first test is leaving, uh, leaving his father's house and going to Eretz Israel. And the last test was leaving his house in, uh, in, uh, in Be'er Sheva, taking Yitzhak to Haram Moriah, Mount of the Moriah. Interesting. So they went to Haram Moriah. And uh, that's where the test of the Akedah was, the Mount Moriah, which is where the Beit HaMikdash is today. Okay, well, I wish it was today, okay? The Beit HaMikdash was, the first two temples were there, Paramoria, Mount Moriah, and that's where they will be built again. That's where the Kotel is. Okay, behind the Kotel, Abraham Avinu, yes, I end up behind the Kotel. Think about it, it's hard to imagine. You go to the Kotel, you got to envisage that Adam Arishon was created from the earth of the Haramoria. He was, he was made from the earth, Haramoria. And he built an altar over there. And, and Noah built an altar over there. And Abraham Avinu built an altar over there. And offered up, he, 
Yitzhak, he raised him up as a, as a sacrifice. He put him on the altar, tied up his hands and feet. And that's where Kimachi just behind the Kotel. You have to envisage that when you, when you go to the Kotel, you have to think these are the sacrifices our forefathers made. And uh, with tremendous sacrifice, uh, Shlomo Melech built a Bet beautiful Bet and then the second temple, even more sacrifice. They had to build it under siege. Imagine they built the second temple, Ezra Sofer. Nehemiah had to build the second temple in a terrible political situation. They were, they were surrounded by enemies. They had to guard, it says they guarded at night and they worked in the day. So, so it was like uh, similar to the early stories of the pioneers in Israel, guarding the settlements and working. And nothing's changed in Israel. We're guarding at night and day. You have to guard 24 hours a day. And if you drop your guard one second, you see what happens. One second, you drop your guard. You can't. You cannot drop your guard in one instant. We're surrounded with enemies. And that's interesting. Okay, so let's move on. Abraham, the first trial was Lech Lecha, leave your father's house. Destination unknown. Eventually, he found out the destination was Canaan. So he's going to Canaan. And tremendous sacrifice. And that's Rambam's first uh, Lech Lecha. And number two, yeah, hey, hey, Hagar marries Hagar, and uh, that's another test. Is he going to marry Hagar? Obviously, um, okay. So he has all the tests of Perkei except for these, the first two. So instead of the first two, he substitutes uh, Hagar. Taking Hagar as a wife is a test. Sarah says, "Get married. You need to have a child. I can't have a child. Marry, marry my maid." That was the test of Abraham. Is he going to marry the maid or not? Let's see. So he married the maid, that was one of his tests. And then the, the other test he puts in, the Rama puts in, is throwing out Hagar. Okay, so taking her and then throwing her out. When she was pregnant the first time, he threw her out. Okay, so that's the test of the Rama. Okay, so Rabbeinu Yonah. Now, third opinion. Rabbeinu Yonah of Garona, he was a famous author of Sharet, Teshuvah, The Gates of Repentance, which is customary to learn before Yom Kippur. Made a beautiful book. Now, it's interesting. Rabbeinu Yonah of Garona is also a Spanish rabbi like the Rambam. After the Rambam, and he had a tremendous, uh, unfortunately, uh, disputation with the Rambam. The Rambam was very dead by then, but he didn't like the books of the Rambam. Why? Because of Moreh Nebuchim. Rambam brings down Greek philosophy and uh, rabbis, the other rabbis, especially you know, the more Haredi rabbis at that time. It was too modern for them. He brings down Aristotle, quoting Aristotle. Who's Aristotle? A non-Jewish philosopher, Hasbi Shalom, in a Jewish book. So they put, uh, Rabbi Yonah was the one who put the Rambam in Kherim. Unfortunately, put him in Kherim not to learn the books of the Rambam. What happened was, in France, they took this Kherim very literally and they burned the books of the Rambam on a, on a, on in, in Paris. They burned the books of the Rambam on a big fire. The Goyim found out what's going on. Hey, you're burning books? Oh, that's a good idea. Let's burn all the Jewish books. So the same pyre, they started burning books of the Talmud. When the French rabbi saw this, they said, oh, we're making a big mistake. If they're burning the books of Talmud with the books of the Rambam, it must be the both one. So Rabbeinu Yonah of Gerona, he writes a book called Sharit Shuva, Gates of Repentance. And he went around France atoning, repenting. Every single he announced, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the Rambam, the great Rambam, the holy Rambam for forgiveness for having his, putting him in cherem, burning his books, like, like a terrible thing, imagine. But the good thing that came out of it was we got a book called Share Teshuvah, the books, the gates of repentance, where he himself is writing for himself how to do repentance for what he did to the Rambam. So that's a beautiful idea that he, he did Teshuvah, he did a massive public Teshuvah for what he said to the Rambam, what he said about the Rambam. The Rambam was dead already, but interesting. So anyway, he, he has a commentary also 
on the whole Talmud. Rabbeinu Yonah was a tremendous genius, Talmudic genius, and he wrote a commentary of Berkei Avot, and over there he brings his own list of uh, ten trials. So he leaves out the first uh, trial of Pirkei Rabliezer about um, Rambam was in jail, well, I mean, sorry, <laughs> Avraham Avinu was put in jail by Nimrod. He skips it out. And instead of that, he brings down the last, he has a number, what we would call number 11, but for him it's number 10. He takes out the first one and puts in one more. What was this one more? It was after the Akedah, the trial of buying a grave for Sarah. That's the last trial according to Rabbi Yonah. What is that trial? The trial is interesting. Hashem promised in the land of Israel. Abraham, you're going to get the land of Israel. You, your children after you, everyone's going to get the land of Israel. And what happens is, Abraham Peter says, I need land to bury my wife. I can't find land. No one wants to give me land. Okay, he'll buy it at a tremendous price. He paid a very exorbitant price, 400 massive silver coins at that time. It was a tremendous price. That was his last test. The coin to Rabbeinu that was the last test. Now, what does that tell us? And this is the test we're going through today, the land of Israel. Hashem says, I'm going to give you the land of Israel. But you know what? It's, this is not something Hashem just gave as a, as a present. It's not a present. It's called a morasha. It's called an inheritance, which is a very interesting word. There's a Yerusha and there's a morasha. A Yerusha is inheritance, which comes easily. A morasha is inheritance that you have to work for. What's the difference? The difference is the person passes away and leaves his son a check. A big check. Millions of dollars. That's a Yerusha. It just came very easily. He's got millions of dollars to spend now. And the Morasha is he leaves them a business. Now, business is you, you know, if you don't sell it straight away, you've got you to work for it. You've got to invest in the business. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes efforts. And that's a Morasha. Eretz Israel is something which we don't get easily. It's not a gift that came. Hashem says, here it is. Here it is. All for you. Just like Abraham Avinu. He gave him Eretz Israel. What happens? Famine. The leaves going to come back. He's going to But the last test, he can't even find a burial place for his wife. It's, we talked about it last week. We said the first, the three places which are most contested in Israel today are the three places our forefathers bought with their own money. Think about it. Hebron, Abraham Avinu bought. And uh, Nablus, Yaakov Avinu bought Nablus. And uh, the, the Temple Mount, David Amelach buys the Temple Mount. And these are the three most contested places in Israel. And of course, the whole of Israel is contested today. Unfortunately, there's this outcry all over the world from the, the sea to the, the river to the sea. And that's contested. You see, this test of Abraham is our test as well. And the test is are we going to invest in Israel like Abraham Avinu did? He buys it with expensive money. That's, you see, the JNF bought the Israel land as, as, you know, as much as we can. Every time a person invests in land in Israel, we are, we are passing this 10th test of Abraham Avinu. Every time those who invest in the land of Israel, we are passing this 10th trial of Abraham Avinu, buying this land for his wife. Obviously, a person buys land in Israel to live, not to die. Israel will all live in Eretz Israel and invest in Eretz Israel like all these brave soldiers are investing their lives and their blood in Eretz Israel. That's what it takes. That's Morasha. That's something you have to fight for. Anyway, that's the 10 trials of Abraham Avinu. I'm going to move on now. Because this week's parasha is an amazing parasha, and it's one of the hardest parasha. It really is, I think, and and you know, at least a lot. This parasha led to a lot. It's amazing how some of these stories of the forefathers, like the story of Yaakov and Esav, and the story of Yosef and his brothers, led to tremendous anti-Semitism. Because here it is in black and white in the Torah, 
And today it's translated to English, every language in the world, and it talks about how Jacob tricked his brother, Esau. Not just tricked his brother, tricked his father, Yitzhak. How, how is that possible? How is that possible for one of our forefathers to trick his father, trick his brother? And the answer is, it's not possible. It was not a trick, as we understand it. wasn't. Okay, let's talk about it. And well, Number one is we have to emphasize truth is a very, very important value. In Judaism, truth is one of the supreme values of Judaism. How do we know? It's one of the three things Pirkei Avot says in chapter one of Pirkei Avot. The world rests on three things. And one of them is emet. Emet. Emet is truth. The Gemara says in Shabbat, The seal of Hashem is truth. Hashem's seal, if you want to see God's seal, it's truth. What's very interesting is the Ten Commandments start with the letter Aleph. Aleph, okay? The Mishnah starts with the letter Mem, and the Talmud starts with the letter Taf. That's amazing. Emet. Ten Commandments start with the letter Aleph. The Mishnah starts with Mem, and the Talmud starts with Taf. That's Emet. Because the Torah is true, has the seal of God in it. Aleph, Mem, Taf is the seal of God, and these letters are all solid letters. They all have two two big legs. Aleph has two legs. Mem has two legs. One is a big leg. Taf has two legs. Whereas Sheker in Lord life. Lies has no basis. Why? Every single letter. Shin Kofresh. Number one is, is part of the alphabet backwards. Shin Kofresh is backwards. Uh, it's Kofresh Shin Taf. Right? So it's Kofresh Shin Taf. Here Sheker is alphabet out of order. That's a lie. Lie is when things are out of order. Number two, but all three letters don't have a base. Shin has a very narrow base. Kuf is just one leg. Resh is only one leg. They don't have a base. Shekir in Lord Lies. Lies has no base. Interesting. So we know truth is a supreme, one of the supreme values. Obviously, life is more important than truth. And peace is more important than truth. Making peace between husband and wife, they're obviously allowed to tell a white lie. Now, it's interesting. We're going to see, though, it's not recommended. We're going to see it's not recommended. And the way do we see this here? It is right here. So number one is truth is a supreme value. It's one of the three things on which the world rests. Um, it's the seal of God. And everything Hashem created the world except for one thing. He never created lies. He never created lies in the world until mankind came and created lies. Man, that was man's work. Man created lies. Hashem never created lies. Interesting. So, and then the, the, the Mishnah says in Pirkei in Sota, Mishnah Bet, um, sorry, Mem Bet, Amad Aleph in the Gemara in Sota, Shekata Shakranim, the group of liars are one of the four groups will never see the face of the Shekhinah, whatever that means. They will not, if they were at Har Sinai, they would not be allowed to be there. They'd be thrown out. Liars have no place in God's world. It's interesting. So a liar is one of the worst things a person could be. The four groups of people. One of them is liars. Terrible. Hashem does not like liars. Where do we see this? A beautiful. I love this. Oh, this is a lovely tehillim. If you want to find a really nice, powerful psalm to say, it's a beautiful psalm. And it's a short psalm. David Amelech at his best, a psalm of David. Mizmor David. Hashem yagur ba'olecha. Who will live in your tent, Hashem? This is, this is where we learn it from. Who can live in God's tent? Who can dwell on your holy mountain? Number one criteria. This is Yaakov Avinu. Tam, Ishtam, it says. A person who goes with simplicity. 
Koel said it does righteousness. With a very level and speaks the truth in his heart. Now it's interesting because this is a very this is a very important. This is Judaism goes further than any other society. It's not enough to say the truth. It has to be truth and heart. The heart and the speech have to be synchronized. Otherwise, the person is two-faced. The person is hypocritical. Judaism says emet starts with both inside and outside matching each other. Whereas a person should be two-faced and say, you know, I love you, and on the inside say, I want to kill you. Right? That's that's not truth. That's not absolute truth. That's falsehood. So Judaism says the inside and the outside has to be matching. And that's what W.W. says. Speaks the truth with heart. Whereas what you say is going to be what you feel inside. It's very hard to do that. And that's why it's hard to be a kosher politician. Very hard to be a kosher politician. You gotta brush everyone up, you gotta brush the egos, you gotta tell whatever people want you to, to say, and even if you don't believe in it. So speaks the truth from his heart, has no slander on his tongue, again, no lies. Who has done his fellow no evil, or cast disgrace upon his close one. Yeah, so this is W. Melech at his best. Just the Psalm 15, have a look at it, say it. Memory. This is, should be a memory for all those who passed away and for victory in the war of Israel Hashem, which will be victorious, not lose anymore. This psalm is a tremendously powerful psalm. Stresses emit truth. The value of truth is an amazing thing. And a person who doesn't speak truth is not going to be in God's presence, not allowed in God's presence. So it's very important to keep away, even from things that could bring to life. Now, this is a very interesting. A person shouldn't tell a child. This is a Gemara in, in Sukkah, Memvav Amud Bet. The Gemara says, a person should not tell a child, I will give you a gift. I'll give you so much. And then not give the child. Why? Because you're teaching the child that your words are not to be relied on. It's teaching a child to lie. A child should not be taught to lie. What does that mean? If you promise a child something, better keep your word. Oh, it's better not to promise anything. So it's very important. Children learn how to lie from people who promise them things and don't follow through. We have to follow through. If you want a child, you have to follow through. You have to be careful what you say to a child. Because if you don't follow through to what you say to the child, he's going to learn how to lie. So very important. Um, and this is the Pasuk. This is the Pasuk in Yahu, Jeremiah. Who says about his own generation? Unfortunately, Jeremiah lived in a very troublesome generation, a generation of the first exile to Babylon. He saw the destruction of the first temple, he saw the exile, the cries in the book of Echa, which we read on Tishabab, written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, in the book of Jeremiah, he says, in chapter 9, verse 4, he says, They taught their, their tongues to speak lies. My generation taught. Their tongues to speak lies, they were liars. And that's one of the reasons why the Bedouin the first step was destroyed. They were liars in the generation. Okay, so now what about lies where you have a good intentions? Lies with good intentions. A beautiful, <laughs> this is a beautiful Gemara. Okay, don't try this out on anyone. And the Gemara says like this. It says there was a rabbi, Rav, who's unfortunately never had marital bliss, put it that way. He never had marital bliss. His wife has always doing the opposite of what he asked. So he asked her to cook, uh, please cook me some lentils. She would cook some something else, porridge. And by every, every day, whatever he asked her, she would do the opposite. Okay, so what happens is, suddenly he sees things are getting better. Whatever he asks for, he gets. So he asked his son, Chia, who became Rabbi Chia, a great rabbi. And uh, he asked his son, Chia, he says, tell me, he says, what's happening? My mother's approving, what happened? So Chia says, very simple, Dad, whatever you say, 
I turn on the opposite. Right? Whatever you tell me, whatever I t- you tell me to do, I tell my mother the opposite, and she does the opposite. So this way, she does what you want. No one's suffering. Everything's good. Marital life is good. Shalom bayit. And Ralph says, Chia, you're a very smart boy. Just, you're smarter than me, he said, but you know what? You're teaching yourself to tell lies, and I don't want that. So even though it's going to lead to marital bliss. So that's the problem of white lies even you know, teach a person how to lie. So a person's got to be very careful. Obviously, life comes first. That's number one. If the German Nazis come to you and tell you, are you hiding a Jew in the basement? Obviously, you say, no, can't tell the truth. But it's for exceptional life-saving uh, Plus, you keep it only for special occasions. It's very hard not to tell lies in your life. Who can say they never told a single lie in their life? But it's very important to know it's a value to tell the truth. You have to know that. So now, after saying all this, and the Gemara says in Psachim, in Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, Bed, Hamad Bed, it says, Whoever changes their words, tells a lie, is as if they worshipped idols. Imagine, it's not the same God. Our God is a God of truth. Because the lies and tricks and this doesn't believe in a God of truth, it believes in a God of lies. Someone told me today, he says, if you believe in God, how can you kill innocent people? How can you do that? How can you massacre people? How can you do that? That's so it's like denying Hashem. That's the whole thing, you know, denying Hashem. So all right. So first the lies also denying Hashem. It's like worshiping idols. It's not the same, obviously, but it's like. Okay, so the question is now, how did Yaakov Avinu do that? How, what happens? Yaakov Avinu. And most people blame Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, in fact, his brother straight away says, he tricked me twice. In fact, his name Yaakov is trickster. That's what Esau says. His name Yaakov, what does Yaakov mean? A heel. He was holding on to the heel of Esau. He's a heel. The heel is bent. That's where the word heal, you know, it's a slang, the heel of a guy. Heal is like the worst. It's like the lowest part of the body. And he tricked me. The word lakov is also to trick or to pass, you know, on the highway. You know, you want to cut someone off. That's lakov, someone. You know. So that's Yaakov. He says, this Yaakov, his name is fitting for him. His name is Yaakov. He tricked me twice. And uh, first he took my Bechorah. Uh, he took my firstborn birthright. And now he took my bracha. Oh, boy. I'm going to go through that because that's a very, very reminder that line. First, he took my Bechorah, my birthright, and now he took my Bracha. That's a very, very important line, which tells us that Yaakov did not lie. What Asaph said is just proving Yaakov right, not wrong. I'm proving it's amazing that we're going, to, we're going to talk about that. It's rather strange. So, how could Yaakov, it seems, everyone blames Yaakov. Yaakov tricked his father. Yaakov's a bad guy. Yaakov was punished. In fact, Yaakov was punished. Now, what? He goes. He has to leave his house, leave his birthplace, he has to run away. Esau's going to kill him. His parents say, go away, go to Lavan. Now, Lavan is the biggest trickster. We have to know, Lavan, Mr. White, is really Mr. Black. His name, Lavan, is a trick itself. He was Mr. White, and he was the blackest guy around. Trickster number one, par excellence. And Yaakov ends up with his trickster. And sure enough, the trickster tricks Yaakov. He wants to marry Rachel. He, he works for seven years and gets some layout. And he's tricked, and then he, his wife tricks him. Leah, he says, Leah, how can you do this to me? And she throws it back in his face. Didn't you trick your father? Who are you to talk about tricking? You're the trickster. You are the biggest trickster. You talk, you trick your brother, you trick him. He gets it back. And later on, his children trick him. Just like he tricked his father with a goat skin, 
his his uh, sons trick him with goat's blood. They put the blood the blood of the goats on Yosef's coat, and they ask their father what happened to Yosef. And the father is tricked and says, "A while then I will kill Yosef." So we see that whatever happened, whatever Yaakov did, came back to him. He's learning his lesson, but but what did he do? What was his whole motivation? Did he really lie? Did he really trick? What's going on over here? So let's see. So it seems like who put him up to this? And the answer is his mother. Rivka put him on his place. If you want to blame someone, now this is we have to talk about this because it's a this is one of the places in the Torah where it causes anti-Semitism. How could Yaakov do this? How could Jacob, the, the Jews of uh, Israel, uh, named for Yaakov? Yaakov's name was Israel. How could he do this? And the answer is that Rivka Shomat Bidaber Yitzhak Eresav. Rivka was listening to Yitzhak tell Esav, I want to bless you, my son. Bring me the venison. Cook me venison. Go, go hunt and go bring me venison and let me eat and I'll be happy. By the way, we learn from this that you could bless someone only when you're happy. You should bless people only when you're happy. Yitzhak wanted the venison to eat, so be happy, so he could bless his son with a full heart. And that's why the custom is to bless our children, Kiddush on Friday night. Ashkenazi blessed Kiddush, uh, before Kiddush, Asfarim blessed after Kiddush. Interesting. So just by seeing the food, getting into the spirit of Shabbat, a person on a good frame of mind, and they bless their children with a whole heart, with a good heart, with a happy heart. That's very important. Bless someone with a happy heart. So we learn out from Yitzhak. In fact, the Ramah says that in outside Israel, we don't make Birkat Kohanim every day. The Ashkenazim don't make Birkat Kohanim every day outside Israel. One of the reasons is because they're not happy. The Kohanim are not happy. Why? They're chasing, Ramah said, they're chasing after living. It's so hard to make a living that we have no, we're, we're, we're sad. We're not, we're not happy. So, so the custom came that Ashkenazim outside Israel bless people only in the Hagin. So Sfardim, bless every day. Uh, I don't know why, maybe we're happier kind of people. I don't know, we never got posted as much. Um, I don't know, but that was a custom. So Sfardim, we bless people every single day, outside Israel, inside Israel, and the custom in Israel, Baruch Hashem, everyone blesses every day. Sfardim, Ashkenazim, we all have the same thing in Israel. Blessed, Birkat Kohanim, every single day of the year, no exceptions. And a fast day, bless in Mincha time, on Yom Kippur, bless in Musaf, and holidays, Musaf, and also on Yom Kippur, three times. Shacharit, Musaf, and Ne'ilah, bless the people. So, Birkakon is very powerful, and blessing should be said when you're happy. That's the idea. We learn from Yitzhak, so we bless our children when we're happy. When are we happy? Kiddush. Kiddush. So, Sorry to say we're happy after we drink the wine. So we drink the wine first and then we bless that children. Yeah, right. That's that's a good idea. Okay. So how could, what happened to Rivka? So Rivka heard what her husband Yitzhak said to her son, Esav, go bring the venison. I want to bless you. So the question is now, how did she hear? So uh, there's two opinions. Number one is, the opinion, the, the Targum Yonatan Ben-Uziel. Yonatan Ben-Uziel was one of the, the great students of, the great, in fact, the greatest student, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. We're talking about Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and his students. And the greatest, he said, Rabbi Yezer ben Hurkin is one of his students. But the greatest of his students was Rabbi Yonatan Ben-Uziel. Rabbi Yonatan Ben-Uziel said, he put all my students. Rabbi Yonatan Ben-Uziel is the greatest, no, actually, Yonatan Ben-Uziel was the student of Hillel. Together with Yochanan Ben Zakkai. Yonatan Ben Zakkai was the smallest student of Hillel. 
Rabbi Yonatan Berezil was the greatest student of Hillel. Hillel had 80 students, the Rishon says. 80 students, and the greatest is Yonatan Berezil who wrote a commentary on the whole Torah called Targum Yonatan. And uh, he says over here, he says, Rivka knew with, through the Holy Spirit. Baruch HaKodesh. She knew, Hashem told her, revealed to her, that, by the way, Rivka, that Hashem is telling her, your, your, your husband, Yitzhak, is going to bless Esau. He asked him to make food so that he can bless him. So that's the first opinion. How did Rivka know that Yitzhak is going to bless Esau? First opinion is she heard from Hashem. Hashem tells her, Ruach HaKodesh. Number two is the Netzuf who brings us back to earth. He brings us back to earth. The Netzuf of Velazhin, um, he took over the Yeshiva of Velazhin from uh, right, the, the Velazhin Rebbe, uh, Chaim Velazhin. And he says in his parish on the Torah called Emek Tabar, which is very recent, like 100 years ago, he says over there that she was listening. Whenever Esau went to visit Yitzhak, she was listening to the conversation from the tent. She wanted to know if there's anything to do with Yaakov. She loved Yaakov. She wanted to protect her son, Yaakov. This Yaakov is Tamim. He's innocent. He's naive. I need to protect him from this Esau, this son of mine, this hunter. He hunts his father. He hunts everything. And he's a trickster. So I want to protect him. I want to listen to this conversation. Every conversation Yitzhak had with Esau, she was over and over. Eavesdropping, as the Nitzv says, the Nitzv of Velazhin. He says, Kach darka Tamim. This is what you always did. She would always listen over, eavesdrop the conversations between her husband and Esau, which I don't know if that's a problem for a wife to eavesdrop on her husband. I don't think that's a problem. I don't think it's a halachic issue to eavesdrop on her husband. His husband and wife are really one body. The Gemara says one body, they're one unit. They should trust each other and, you know, to talk to each other, communicate with each other. There's some kind of communication issue over here. So anyway, so he says that she, she, she was eavesdropping. And now the question is, why did she tell ya- uh, Yaakov to trick his father? Now, he didn't, she didn't really tell him that. She said, go and cook for your father. Go and cook. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to take the, sh- the, sh- the goat. Uh, you bring the goat to me, and I'm going to cook for your father. I know exactly how he likes the food. I'm going to cook for your father. Okay? So now what's interesting is that Esau trusted this, uh, his mother more than he trusted his wife. Rashi brings down over here. Esa, based on the Midrash, Rashi says that Rivka was trusted by Esa more than Esa trusted his wives. And one of his wives was Basma, the daughter of Ishmael. He didn't trust his wives. Esa never trusted his wives. Why? He knew who they were exactly. He knew where they, what they were up to behind his back, and he didn't trust them. And he had a special coat, a special garment he got. It says he got it from Nimrod. He got it, from, he stole it from Nimrod. And Nimrod got it from, this is the original garment of Adam and Hashem. The garment that Hashem made Adam came down to Esau. Esau got it, he stole it from Nimrod. Nimrod stole it from someone else and it came all the way down from Adam and Hashem. And Esau never trusted his wives. He gave his garment to his mother to look after. And what's special about Esau is his kibbud abba'em. That's something which we have to talk about because it's really central to this story. What is the merit of Esau? And the merit of Esau was honoring his father. He honored his father like no one else ever. Even the greatest rabbis never honored their father like Esau. This is, you know, we have to understand this. This is, how did Esau honor his father so much? And the answer is, Esau loved his father. In fact, he loved his father so much, he says, 
I'm going to delay killing my, my brother, Yaakov. Think about this. I'm going to delay killing my brother, Yaakov. Even though I want to kill him so much, so bad. He was a hunter and he was wild and he could have killed him. He said, I'm not going to kill him until my father passes away. I'm not going to hurt my father's feelings. That's how much he loved his father. Obviously, he didn't love his brother. He loved his father so much. There was a tremendous bond between Yitzhak and Yaakov and, and Esau. Tremendous bond between Yitzhak and Esau because Yitzhak loved Esau. And he showed him as much love as he could. And Esau appreciated it. Esau appreciated Esau loved his father as well. And he loved his father to the point where he honored his father so great. He knew his father was holy, even though he wasn't holy himself. At least he honored his father for that. And he knew his father was special. And his father loved him. And he knew he was his father. He had this familiar, he had this bond to his father. So there's something we have to also inculcate in our children. How far, however far away they go. You know, there's a story that came, it came to Rough Cook. A man comes to Rough Cook. He says, Rough Cook, he says, my son used to be religious and I was not religious anymore. Rough Cook says, do you love him? He says, I used to love him. So Rough Cook says, now you have to love him even more. Because the only way you're going to bring him back is through love. The only way you're going to bring someone back is love, not through hatred. That's, that's some of the ironies that, you know, our generation needs to learn. Someone's breaking Shabbat, you don't throw stones at them. You love them more. You invite them for kiddush. You invite them for a meal. That's the only way to bring people back is through love. And that's what we learn from Abraham Avinu. That's what he taught us. That's what Yitzhak teaches us. How far your son, your child is, the only way you ever bring them back is through love. Yitzhak gets love from Yitzhak. What he gets from Yitzhak is love, 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 love. And what happens is he, he honored his father. He had a special coat that he wore every time he went to see his father. And from there, the halacha is, when you go to see Hashem, you should be dressed properly. You should have a special, some people have special coats that they wear when they go to pray. Special garment, you know, shachari is very easy, you wear talit, very easy. But it's something, you know, it's good to wear, it's good clothes when you see Hashem, wear a jacket, wear whatever, something that's special, just when you see Hashem. So that's a very important, and we learn from Esau, we learn from Esau, he went, he honored his father so much. Anyway, Rivka has this coat. And Rivka gives the coat to his son, Yaakov. Now, the question is, why did Rivka want to trick her husband? Why didn't she just talk to her? They must have had this conversation. There's no way they didn't have this conversation. That she went to the, she had went to the prophet, you know, when, when, uh, uh, when, they were pre- when she was pregnant, the two children, she thinks they're split personalities, they're running in her womb, she feels in pain. And she passes the house of idolatry and she hears kicking. One child's trying to come out and she passes the house of learning and the other child's trying to come out. She's a big personality kid. She goes to Shem, who was the prophet at that time, and she asks what's going to happen. And Shem tells her, Shnei goyim benech, there are two nations in the womb and the, uh, the older one will serve the younger one. She has this prophecy already. She knows who's going to be the leader. She knows the younger one is going to be the leader. Obviously, she told Yitzhak. She has this prophecy. Yitzhak knows she's the prophetess. She knows what's going on. She has this Ruach HaKodesh. The women had this great Ruach HaKodesh. Both of them ended at that time. Shara, Rivka had Ruach HaKodesh. And she taught Moses, had this conversation with Yitzhak. Yitzhak, you know, Yitzhak's going to trick him. He's tricking him. And Yitzhak says, I love him. I'm going to bring him back. I'm going to, I love him. I'm going to bring him back. I'm going to bring him back. We need Yitzhak. We need Esau. Yisrael needs Esau. Klal Israel needs Esau. We need the strength of Esau. We need go-getter. We need someone who can push and tug and pull people physically and support people physically and earn a living physically. This Yaakov is just sitting there. He's Ishtam, Yosheh That's what Yaakov. So 
We need we need Esav in the camp. We don't want an outside the camp. We're not throwing people outside the camp. Esav needs to be in the camp. I've got to put him in. And Rivka says, Esav is God. Esav is too far God to put him in. Anyway, what's the merit of Esav? Yitzhak says, go bring me food, venison. Why? This way you will have the merit to get the blessing. You'll get more merits. You bring me food. You bring your father food. Boy, I mean, people don't realize the mitzvah. How great this mitzvah is. You give your parents a meal. You give your parents food. You give your parents kavod. And it's tremendous. You get olam Tremendous. It's one of the mitzvot where a person says long life. Hashem gives promises long life in the next world. Not in this world, but in the next world. You get a person gets long life. Olam Just for honoring parents. It's such a tremendous mitzvah. You know. We have to honor our parents. Even if they're not here, we can, we can do the yard side meal, make a meal, give merits, uh, learn in their memory, give that kind in their memory. This is something how we honor our parents even after they've gone. We can do Kibbutz In fact, if a child is good, that's Kibbutz by itself. Um, okay, we've got to move on. It's getting late. Okay, so let's try and, I don't know if we can finish this tonight, but we'll continue next week. Okay, so <laughs> if we can't finish tonight, we're going to finish next week. What did Rivka do? She wanted to lessen the merits of Esau. Yaakov, you're going to take the food to your father. You're going to do the kibbutz Abayim. Esau does the kibbutz Abayim. We're going to lessen merits. You know, that's, that's the fight. The fight is who's having more merits. That's, that's really the spiritual battle is who has more merits. And this is, there's a physical battle going on now, but there's also a spiritual battle which we don't see. And we're going to talk about it when Yaakov fights the angel, we see the spiritual battle. There's a physical battle. It's a sign of something spiritual going on in the world above. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. The spiritual battle, the physical battle, how this ties into what Yaakov is trying to feed his father, which Rivka says, feed your father, get the merits away from your brother Esau. You'll get the bracha because you have the merits now. Now, why isn't it a trick? So I'll give you one line. Exactly what Esau said. Esau said, my brother tricked me twice. He stole my blessing. He stole my bichorah. He stole my birthright. And he stole my blessing. And when Yitzhak heard that, what do you mean? You sold your birthright for a bowl of soup? Yaakov will be blessed. It proves that he was telling the truth all the time. He's the one I should bless. He bought his... He got your birthright. You gave me your birthright, you idiot. <laughs> you sold your birthright to Yaakov. Yaakov deserves a blessing. Okay, we're going to talk about it next week. Ms. Rashi, please join me next week. We'll talk about how uh, the spiritual battle and the physical battle, how interwoven in the story of uh, Yaakov and Esau, but it's still going on today. Ms. Rashem will have merits. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.